Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Here we go. Welcome back. So good to see you. Okay, here we go. A um, couple of things. Well, we'll pray first. Easter Sunday, then this you know is, I was actually quite happy with how many people turned out today. This is called Low Sunday in the Church. Uh, this is usually the lowest attended Sunday in the church here across denominations. It's actually called, in the trade, Low Sunday, uh, because the attendance is so low. We actually did very well, especially because we had the Sunday school kids um, sing last night. So we had all the young kids, many of them um, came with their families, 40 or 50 kids came last night. So, you know, we'll be, we'll be a little light this morning, but actually it was very nice to see all you come back. Also, there were, um, very oddly, a lot of visitors in the first service. It was very odd for the, usually we had a lot of visitors for Easter, but it's very odd to have a lot of visitors the Sunday after Easter. I just want to encourage you, as you see people you don't know, just to engage them. It means a lot to people. It takes a lot of courage to walk through the doors of a new church. Um, and there were three or four couples in the last service who, for whatever reason, showed up this Sunday. And if you don't recognize somebody, you know, don't be shy to just say, I mean, I'm the used car salesman, right? It's special pleading when I say you should really like this church. But if you say to somebody, I really like my church, it makes a difference, especially if you're of similar age and circumstance. So just kind of keep that in mind. I know you love to see each other, and for many of you, you only get to see each other this time during the week. That's completely cool. But if you just see somebody, take you know just a couple of minutes to welcome them. And um, you know you have a really good thing here, and you have really good friends. But there's room for more people at the table, so you know kind of always bring them around. Okay. So um, you know, low Sunday in English, but it's quasi modo genitai Sunday uh, in the church here, which is like newborn babies. So the Sundays often get their names from the introit or the verse appointed for the day. So uh, this is quasi-modo genitai in the old church year. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we've been born anew. There it is, like newborn babies. You've been born anew. Born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So Christ rises, you rise. It's the simplest thing uh, and the most profound thing in Christianity. You know, you're baptized, you rise again. And you rise up to go to the Eucharist. First Peter 1, 3, like newborn babies. There you go. Almighty and everlasting God, who through the death and resurrection of your Son proclaimed to us the gospel of peace, grant that by the power of his resurrection we may be born anew to a living hope and so overcome the world. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so you're born again to overcome the world, so you're new. The world is very enticing, and much in the world is good, but um, some things in the world are to be avoided. So uh, in the basket, uh, that you're very kind to put some money in already. You didn't even know where it was going. The ultimate act of faith. You toss the cash in before you know where it's going. Uh, no, you've started a trend now that would be good for your soul to follow. So um, uh, I know, exactly right. Oh, it comes out in so many, many ways. Uh, so Lutheran Malaria Initiative. Um, now the cool thing, we've been, you know, I've been part of this for a couple of years. The cool thing is, Used to be in Africa, a child died every 45 seconds from malaria. It's been pushed to 60 seconds, which, you know, that's a pretty good metric if you could push it from 45 seconds to 60 seconds, so it just kind of keeps going. Um, So throw some money in for that if you like. Also, our friends at Grace School are always trying to think of ways to engage uh, donors, engage support. One of the things they suggested is if you all wanted to visit Grace School, um, they would send out... uh, 
a coach, a luxury coach, not like a school bus. They send a, a coach out, a, a bus, to pick you up and take you down, show you around, let you see the place. You know, it can be a little daunting. It's a tough neighborhood. You know, it's, you know, it's next to, you know, Little Village. It's, it's a tough neighborhood, you know, apparently, or occasionally people, you know, shoot each other around there. And, you know, if you park your stuff on the street, you're not always sure you're going to come back to it. It's a little, it's a little daunting. Um, uh, but yet, you know, these kids go to school in that neighborhood, and this school does a lot of good for people who really don't have many other good things going for them sometimes. So they've said, hey, you know what, we'll make it easy and safe for you to come down and have a look at us. You can sort of put away your worries and, and pop down. You know, we don't want to say, sure, send the bus and then have nobody get on the bus. So if you're interested in going, help me, is it going to be Kathy Thorne, or do we decide without asking her? You talk to her. So your contact person is Kathy Thorne, who knows in advance that you may be coming to talk to her. I think if this is helpful for you, why don't people just sort of talk to you and you can count noses, and then we can get back to them. And if we get a, you know, we don't want them, you know, they don't have a lot of money, but clearly they have somebody who has a, a plan for donations, and this is one of the way, the, kind of the newest trend in donor support. It doesn't matter if you're going to Costa Rica or South Africa or Grace School, is to bring your donors and have them see it. And people understand now the great shift in, in philanthropy over the past 10 or 20 years has been that, um, that, that givers, donors, now see themselves not as philanthropists but as investors. And, you know, Bill Gates wrote an editorial in, I think it was the New York Times three or four weeks ago, where he basically summed his whole career by saying um, it only matters if you can measure it which is, you know, a thing you've been hearing for 10 year, years or 20 years if you've been paying attention. But it's interesting that that has now become the standard for charitable giving, which is very different from what you did over here, which is you sort of tossed your money in and said wherever you send it. That's an old-school way to do it. Thank you very much. It's not the way people do philanthropy now. The way people do it is they want to be an investor and they want to see results. In the church, that can be difficult. The good news is, in the school, actually, it is one of the places where it's a little more easy to see results. You can see paint on the walls. You can see desks in the classroom. You can see computers. You can see things. Um, so in any case, I'm, I'm sure that's what's in the back of their mind. See Kathy, if you would like to go. She'll count noses. If enough noses are counted, then we'll go, okay? Great. Yes? Yeah, it's great stuff. I mean, we've had a run of things. I know, um, you know, Mr. Butcher had a band of plumbers who went. Dave Schlussman took computer people down there. There were other people who fixed things up. Um, we had their donor dinner here, I think, last year. Was it just last year we had it? Yeah. Seems like a long time ago, but it was a year ago. We hosted their dinner for the whole district, right, in our place in the gym. That went very, very well. Martha, you were going to say? Uh, it's, I, it's, it's more of a weekend type okay. thing. Yeah. Okay. There's no date. They just really right. need to know if there's enough interest. Yeah. Sure. She didn't, in her email, though, she didn't specify a time. She was just <coughs> right. turning it to all. Or right. Yeah, right. 
You have to count two kinds of noses now. You know, people who can take the day off and people who can't. So, yeah, that's a great, a really good question. Um, it's going to be a different kind of tour whether the school is full or not. It'll work either way, but, you know, clearly your hearts will soften more if you see, you know, the kids behind the desk going, please, 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 please. You'll see, you know, <laughs> car salesman. <laughs> it all boils down to Joe home running a dealership. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. All right, good. Everybody good? Anything else going on? You all good? All right. Yes. Yes, sir. Good. I never know if you're actually going to say it back to me or not. You know, I'm sort of like knock knock. So uh, I'll try to make a note. Thank you very much for asking. You know, it's a common uh, around the world in many different. And the, the weird thing is, is people even here greet me often in there. In fact, somebody sent it to me in Croatian. I had to Google it up to see what it was. I'm like, so uh, yeah. Thanks very much for saying so. Well, the day wouldn't be complete. <laughs> Ms. Crawford. I just wanted to say that the news of the last Sunday was awesome. Yes, it really, really was. Thank you very much for, not, for saying so, not to me, but to the people who... Um, yeah, that was really quite fun. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the... It's, you know, it's Philip and Peter and Philip, um, the three amigos. So when you see him, you know, say hey to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Thursday and Friday were great, too. Yes, of course, through the whole triduum, it was fantastic. And, um, uh, you know, so and we're, everybody's learning. There were a lot of moving parts up there. So it'll, it's going to be fun. There's, there's a lot of things still to come. Pray for your pipe organ. Someday, someday. Yes. Can I just ask a question? Were any of you here? That's about what I thought. So in the sacristy, in the vestry this morning, I pitched that maybe we could put you back in in another week or two. Completely different, different demographic at this service. If you could bring them to this service and sing the very same thing, we can still jiggle, we can still jiggle everything to make that work, no matter how we have to make it work. So can you talk with the three amigos and see what could happen? <laughs> All right, because it would be fun to have them. I mean, it's great. That would be fantastic. Thank you. All right, anything else? So how'd your prayers and your fasting go? And now in asking that question, I'm asking you a couple things that I don't want to exactly, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I did, we did sort of aim at prayer and fasting for Lent. And, you know, I didn't sort of say who's doing and who's not because that's kind of your own decision. But I was just curious if you had any reaction. I'll tell you my own, which is I, I chose to fast on my day off because, one, I didn't want to come to work cranky, and, two, it's harder to remember, you know. But, I mean, Lent 5, Monday, I'm, like, making myself lunch at 11 going, Oh, boy. So, uh, you know, I mean, you have these things where you, you just sort of m- miss the day. Uh, did that happen to any of you? Did you miss a day anywhere? You're perfect? Oh, well, great. That's great. We'll monk you up right after the service. Uh, free tantras, yes, Mr. Howenstein. So uh, nobody else wants to confess? Good Lutherans, good job, yes. Uh, Uh, yeah, when I was in Russia, this is very interesting, at an Orthodox service, I, I, um, 
you know, an Orthodox service goes on for hours. They have several gospel processions. It's like they do the liturgy over and over and over again. It can last, you know, two, three, four hours. Now, the Russians, interestingly, they kind of come and go during the liturgy. They don't come for the whole thing. They sort of, it's like playing a loop, and when they've seen the whole loop, whether they started, you know, 10 minutes in or 30 minutes in or at the beginning, then they sort of, but I did actually know that they fed the priests after the first gospel reading. There was a person who actually brought tea and stuff. It was the strangest thing, like just behind, next to the altar, and suddenly the priest is eating, and I'm like, what the heck? And I'm fairly sure what was happening is he fasted before the initial stuff, and then he was going to be there three or four hours, so they sort of, he had the same responses, which is, um, you know, if he faints from lack, low sh- blood sugar, it's not helpful to the liturgy. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes, please. Uh, I started out really fine. Oh, my gosh. Really? How about that? No good deed goes unpunished. You fast for Lent, and we will change the clocks to make it harder on you. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah. So anyway, just think about this now in terms of where we've been. And I want to I put fasting and prayer both into the same category. One of the, you know, we did sort of one thing, and I've given you a second thing today. One of the things, one of the things that you learn from both prayer and fast, well, let's see. One of the ways you learn from prayer and from fasting is from failure. And so um, I want to sort of absolve you and myself, and then I want to say, um, when you do extra things, sometimes you know you don't make it uh, now, and, or even in your own prayers. You, we've talked about this a hundred times in different ways. You know, your spiritual life sort of goes like this, and one of the mature things in a spiritual life is you can see, you can feel when things are great, and you can see when difficult things are coming. <coughs> When you do that, you rejoice mightily when it's great, and when it goes to a lower point, if you can see it coming, you do things to deflect, you know, scrape it against the bottom of the pool. Um, so I want to say, you know, first, thanks for doing that. I, I don't, I, I've never been in a church where a collective bunch of people together prayed and fasted even some portion of it. So, you know, whatever good that was done, fantastic. And then I want to say, you know, just your normal experiences of, I missed it, I forgot, it got more difficult, it was really good. Those normal experiences, you know, you sort of tuck those away um, as good done for the kingdom of God and then toward the next time. So I don't, I don't want you to, what I don't want you to do is to feel in any way guilty or as if you failed because you gave something a really good try for a really long period of time, actually. For normal people who aren't used to, you know, living in a cloistered life, uh, 40 days is a long time to try to do that. So anyway, thank you very much for that. And then, you know, we'll hold on to it. And there may be other times when we, you know, the scriptures declare a fast, say to the people, you know, that's in the scriptures uh, several places. You know, declare a fast collectively, communally. Do this all together. And it not only sort of focuses your intention, it builds community, and it also reminds God that we're very interested in what he's doing and um, what we want from him. And also then, especially as soon as you start to think about what we want from him, you start to look at all the good things um, that he's done for us, and then kind of things all work together. So, yes, please. Just a word of appreciation, because from my perspective, growing up in a different church body where fasting and giving things up was obligated. Right. And that was during a time during the tender years for me. Yeah, right. And then all of a sudden, it
You did? Oh. Yeah, right. But now thinking of these certain spots of the past and then thinking about, especially the supplemental readings of thinking about Christ, thinking about those who are in need. And instead of just putting the focus on me, it's really reaching out. Yeah. So I just really wanted to say thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And it's fun, it's fun for me, too. I mean, the thing is, is I, I feel, you know, I'm 55 and I feel impoverished in some way that I should have learned this at 15. And there was a time when people learned it at 15. You can say day of obligation in a law way. You can say day of obligation in a gospel way, right? So um, what we're trying to do is say it in a gospel way. Uh, I tell you, it is, um, we become more um, understanding of our frailty the longer we engage these kinds of things. To say that you will pray is to be sure to fail. To say that you will fast is to, is to guarantee your failure in some sense. Um, your own failures in the way that your own sickness or your own troubles make you more empathetic to the troubles and sicknesses and failures of others. So there's a way that this seasons you, right? And so you come at it again the next time, and it'll be even better. Mr. Shuey. Uh, being a little older than you... <laughs> you have more hair. <laughs> Yeah, good, good, well said. And so if you kind of look back, I mean, what we've been doing this year is trying to build your devotional life. Um, you know, part of it, it's clearer now in my rearview mirror what we've done the last few years, but basically, or the last few weeks, but basically what we've said this year is pick a place of silence and calm, adorn it in a way that helps you, which is, it can be everything from just sitting in a chair or kneeling posture to having a crucifix, having an icon, having a candle, having, a, having um, some incense. It can be all, so the first thing you do is you, in some sense, pause in the midst of a very busy world and then meditate on Scripture, contemplate. The difference between meditation and contemplation is meditation is you tend the Scripture. Contemplation is the imagination. So if, you, if, you, um, if you've listened to Pray As You Go, you know, somebody else put me onto that. I've been very grateful. I use it a couple of times a week. One of the things that they ask you to do is what's more known as contemplation, which is imagine how you might see this in your life. Or imagine if Jesus showed up in your midst today and said this. So there's meditation. You read the text. Contemplation. You imagine how that makes a difference in your life. Your prayer comes from the meditation and contemplation so that you're not just, it's not just I want a pony, I want a pony. It's this is what's important to Jesus, so therefore it's important to me, and that's what we're going to do next. In the Lord's Prayer, you're going to see what's important to Jesus. Okay, um, and then um, the fasting is sort of the, you know, the turbocharging of it occasionally. You know, when you shoot the RPMs into the red, the fasting you know, sort of extends you beyond your normal, uh, and then you see what happens. 
now, and Chuck's comments then are very helpful on, on the back of yours, which is what you don't want to do is do that. The last, I, I got to tell you, people don't come to church. The reason the church fails is because pastors stand in front of people too and do this. That's to be a Pharisee. It's not that we're so open-minded our brains fall out. It's that we understand that people are frail, people are weak, people are troubled. The world is a tough place. We love you, and when we love other people, we understand their failures. Um, we have to understand them in a way that we embrace them. We don't encourage them, but we understand that it's in all of us. Okay? So this is just another way to kind of be open to what's going on in our community. Yes, please. To uh, underscore what you said about uh, don't, don't be afraid of failure. Yeah. Miserably. Please watch with me. Yeah, right. And yet they became the apostles. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy thing. Gretchen, you were going to say? Right. He's going to grow up to be a very normal Christian. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, self, self-discipline self is a remarkable somebody thing. Somebody told us that we were too old to fast. Um, I only said check with your doctor. I never commented on your age. <laughs> I did not say you were too old. I didn't. I love you, Bev. I know. Ah, uh, yeah, you can't fast, you can't vote for Pope, but come on. I mean, uh, it could be. Is that true? It's after 70, you don't fast? That's what I was told. We, we tried it. It would be a very kind, it would be actually a very kind rubric if they said that, because if you're relieved from a day of obligation after the age of 70, that, wouldn't, that would make perfect sense to me, and it would clean up a lot of things. Because I actually, I think I told you, I, maybe I didn't tell you, I, I had, a, I had a, a, um, an email from an old friend that I have kept in touch with since high school, uh, that I grew up with, who wrote me, you know, after he'd just completed a 21-day fast. I mean, and he, like, like this kind of came out of the blue, and it's and I'm like, I mean, I wrote him back, and I said to him, you're really old, did you go see your doctor? He's my age. I'm like, you gotta be, and so he wrote me, you know, several things back about, you know, you might be old, but I'm not type of thing. But he also, <laughs> I mean, it brutalized him. He lost 25 pounds, um, and he, uh, <laughs> No comment about weight or age coming from me, okay. But, I mean, it was, uh, he said it was the hardest thing he ever did, and this guy's done a lot of hard things. Um, I don't know that I would, you know, recommend that to anybody. That's your own, you know, that's your own deal if you go do that. But just, that's the other thing I would say is be careful, be careful. All right, so where we've been then. You know, we've done this, be silent, carve some time. When you carve some time, spend some time in Scripture, when, you're, when you spend some time in Scripture, it says, Luther says, you crush, 
you crush the herbs and they begin to smell. The smell takes you into the imagination. How does that work in your own life right now? That pushes you then to um, pray for others and pray for yourself, but especially to pray for others. And occasionally you sort of you sort of boost that a little bit by things like fasting. And you can do that in a regular way, no meat on Friday. You can do it for a season, you know, some sort of fast during Lent. But what that does then is prepares you for sort of the next season. Um, this is usually kind of a, a week of exhaustion in the church. Usually people are sort of worn out. You can feel it even in the liturgy today. There's less. There, it's a, it's a, that's kind of our baseline liturgy. You'll never get less than you got this morning, but that's kind of our baseline. We, everybody needs to rest for a moment, think about what's going on, and move through. Now, let's just think about where, where we talked about with prayers. First, uh, we said Christ has redeemed the world. But he doesn't redeem the world and move away. He redeems the world so that all of you can play too. And the most remarkable thing is that Jesus makes you a bridge between himself or his heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit. He makes himself a bridge between the Holy Trinity. You become the bridge between the Holy Trinity or the cross and the rest of the world. You're the bridge. You understand this very crisply if I say to you as Lutherans, this is just means of grace talk. So it's not that Jesus dies and everything is... Jesus dies and the world is hallowed, it's made holy, it's forgiven, it is blessed as the risen flesh and blood of Jesus Christ moves out through the world and touches it. So it touches it when words are spoken, and words are extraordinarily powerful. And if you could see everything that was going on, you'd see little tiny particles coming out of my mouth, physical things, and hitting you on the eardrum. You see it more clearly when we splash water on somebody, even more clearly at the Eucharist. Jesus is, touches the world. One of the ways he continues to touch the world is with your prayers. Okay? You're redeemed, and you get to pray. You are a priest. A priest sacrifices and prays. That's what you do. So sometimes you make sacrifices. You give of what you have. You're in mercy. But another way that you sacrifice is to give up your time to pray for other people. Um, you remember how, how on Monday Thursday, what a marvelous thing it was when Jesus says to the disciples, you're my friends. You're my friends. They're just not acquaintances. You're my friends. In fact, with the Lord's Prayer, he even takes them as family. This is my father. You can have my father. So you're not only a friend, you're a brother to Jesus. He takes you that close, and he gives you then uh, the same work that he does. Your job is to administer God's righteousness in the world. You have access to the Father through Jesus. So you know the cross gives you access to the Father. So the Father loves you. He's your Father. And then he says to you what he says to his Son, go out into the world and love people. And now everything I've said up to this point in the first half hour, from, you know, from how do we understand obligation to what do we do when we fail in our fasting to how do we even fast at all to how do we set up our prayers to how we go forward, all of that comes under the notion of you're my friends, you're my family, this is your work. Yes, please. It's very well. I'm sorry. And then a week later, like, you know, 
you notice that I prayed for them. Right. Something happened that threatened their day, whatever. But that's been the best part in my job. Yeah, right. So here's the thing. If you say to people, I mean, there's a couple of ways you can love people, uh, well, in a broad sense. You can stand on the street corner and you can tell everybody they're going to hell, uh, you know, and then hope they'll come to your church. <laughs> Another possible way is almost anybody will let you pray for them. Most people will let you pray for them, and almost anybody I've ever met will let you bless them. So some people, if you say, may I pray for you, they'll usually 75% of the people will say that, but I've never met anybody who said, may I, may I bless you? Or, or said, I've never met anybody who, when I said, God bless you, said, uh, well, he shouldn't do that. Okay? So that's part of what you're doing in your job. You pray for people, you bless them. The people you bump into, you bless them, you pray for them. That's your job. That's your job as a priest, the priesthood of all believers. A priest prays and he makes sacrifice. Your job is to pray for people to be a bridge. And in your praying, you're a bridge between God and those people that you bump into, right? Now, and this goes actually to your job as well, um, it's very easy, this is, goes to your day of obligation thing too, it goes to failure about things, it's very easy when you start to focus on the holy things, this happens to church workers all the time, it's one of the most miserable things about pastors and church workers, when you start to focus on holy things, when you get very excited about the church, when you go to seminary and you learn to talk like a seminarian, God help us all. When you, um, you, know, you study church music and you know, you, you're, you're taken in by the sacred, when you fast, when you pray, when you go to church every week, there's a couple of ways you can react to people who don't go to church every week, don't pray, don't fast, don't know anything about the church, don't know any doctrine, never saw the small catechism, and wouldn't know, you know um, Gregorian chant if it bit him on the ankle. You know, how do you, there's a couple of ways you react. What are they? One is... To be a Pharisee and say, yeah, you should do better and you're really not quite as good as we are. Yeah, and that's why the church dies. Um, that's why liturgical churches especially die because you can walk into a liturgical church and one way you can read it as great consolation and another way you can just read it as showing off. It just depends how you read the room, right? And it depends how you deliver it as well. Or you could say, the way you'd say to your best friend, uh, we have this really cool place where we go on vacation. You should come with us. Or, this is our favorite restaurant. Would you like to come? Or, I love my church, and you would love it too. And that's the reason it comes to church. Non-used car salesman, okay? It's the opposite, the anti-used car salesman, which is when you say it and I don't. Yes, ma'am? I attended a baptism at a Lutheran church, in like, I think it was Frankfurt. And as you exited the parking lot, there was a sign that yeah. you are now entering the mission field. Yeah, right, right. And see, that reminds you to see, the, it's so easy to see evil in the world. Anybody can see evil in the world. You know, politicians, even preachers who go around the nation, you can give the same speech in every, you can give the same speech in every town. You get really good at it, really persuasive. You can say, we discriminate against people who aren't like us. We hate people who are from different places. The poor people are oppressed here. The rich people are selfish. You can, you can get a speech done, a stump speech, that will work in any city anywhere in the world because of original sin. But that's too easy. It's too easy to do that. You know, Satan is the idealist. Satan is the one who can always point out where the evil is. It's easy to see the flaws in other people. It's easy. It's the easiest thing in the world. It's especially easy for church people, right? It's so easy. 
Because you come here and you load up and you go out and you say, hey, you're not like us, you're not like church, you're not like Jesus, you stink. That's easy. It is also the work of Satan in huge doses. I'm not saying this for those listening by internet and blogging later. I'm not saying I'm not against the law. I'm not an antinomian. I do think you need to preach the law to convict people of sin. But as Walther would say, or Paul, a little bit of law goes a long way. People need a lot of the gospel. So if you stay in the mode where you're always condemning, always seeing fault, always being depressed, you gradually become cynical and hateful toward other people. The trick of being a Christian is to understand sin without embracing it. To know that we all fail, prayers, fasting, you know, whatever. Those, those are just little, you know, those aren't mortal sins, but they remind us of how, how easy it is to fail, right? So the trick, the trick is to know what's right and wrong and understand that people go wrong and still, drum roll, love them and to love them back into the church. If your primary affect is love, when people come in, they will stay. If your primary affect is judgment, they will go. Satan is the one who judges. Jesus is the one who loves. Satan always points out evil and shortcomings in other people, right? And then sometimes Luther says, well, Satan does Jesus' work for him. It's true, but not without the balance, which is forgiveness and, um, and, and working through you to love other people. And part of the great stuff is, is that, that God is the only one, Romans 8, God is the only one who can bring good out of the evil that happens. So your kid goes off the rail, you know, your wife or your husband is, you know, does a horrible thing, um, you know, people in your congregation, I mean, just pick something. It doesn't really matter. People at work, people on the street, it doesn't matter. Evil is all around. I'm not, evil is all around. It's easy to see evil. What's more difficult is to see evil and to still love. What's more difficult is to see evil and still pray. What's more difficult is to see evil and not lose faith. The way that you can do this is by letting your prayer and your fasting and your scripture reading and your contemplation attune you first to Christ who loves the world and then to the world, you see. So first Christ, and then as you go out, the world's a mission field. It's not a bunch of people who are not as good as you are. You see, it's all how, how you think about the world, okay? Okay. So that sort of brings us up to where we are to this next bit. So, um, you know, we've got a couple of minutes. We'll, we'll do a little bit here just so you can get started, okay? Um, the, uh, so this, this first bit about stories in the gospel about people who are deaf, dumb, deaf and dumb, okay? Um, let's start this way. Um, you know, what, is, what do the scriptures say about prayer? We'll think a little bit about this. Um, you know, prayer is different than anything we do. Um, but we build on our failures. You know, what I was grateful for when I said, how is your prayer life going or how you're fasting? Um, you know, you can kind of read the room in terms of body language and facial expression. Um, that's the easiest way to make people feel guilty. You can say, how's your prayers go? How are your prayers going? You can make people feel guilty like that. How's your fasting? You can make it. Or you can tell, you know, Gretchen's story where Nolan says, ah, I missed that, or maybe I should push that off, or can I tweak that? And in that, there's more, there's more learning in that about yourself than in the fasting, <laughs> to be honest with you, right? Because you learn about yourself. So um, what can happen with your prayers, and I'll just sort of warn you going forward is, and this is very 
you can have this boom and this bust. You can have this up and this down. Your spiritual life is, you know, it goes very much like this. Now, hopefully your spiritual life is going like this. You know, hopefully it's moving up and to the right. Hopefully it's getting better even though, you know, there's, um, there's press on it. But um, let me start with this. And you, you know this. Um, God, doesn't need, God doesn't need your prayers. You know, God doesn't need you at all. That's the most important thing to say. God didn't need to create. Doesn't need your prayers. Doesn't need your praise. Doesn't need your help. <clears throat> but one of the great things that God does is He lets you play. He He lets you administer grace. He lets you love other people. He lets you be put into marriage. He lets you have children whom you can love. He loves you and lets you care for them. Mr. Orton. That's right. Yes, exactly right. So it's not so helpful to me if I say, Don, you've got to say your prayers and you've got to go to confession and you've got to go to church. That's not so helpful because what that does, it plays on the side of the fence that points out your failures. Presumes you don't say enough prayers. It presumes you've missed church at some point in the last year. It presumes, presumes. And what does that do to you? It closes your heart in some way. Um, but Jesus opens things. So very quickly, spin your Bible to uh, Mark chapter 7. Okay. We'll just do this one thing just to get you started. Just Mark 7. It's a very, very nice text. This is the one that lets the pastor spit on children at baptism. So this is a particularly good text. You know, back in the good old days, this is where you spit. This is true. In Luther's early liturgy, the pastor would spit, and he would do this with the kid. And he'd spit, and he'd, take the, he'd actually reach into the kid's mouth and pull the tongue. He'd put his spit in the kid's mouth. We just can't do this anymore. You know, we're too weak for this. But, you know, where does that come from? Well, it comes actually from a really interesting thing. John, uh, Mark seven thirty-one. Jesus went up to Tyre, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So he's out, he's out beyond the bounds of Israel. He's out with the pagans. They brought him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. So he can't hear and he doesn't speak clearly, and they ask Jesus to touch him. And that's a great thing, because the guy's unclean. He's Gentile, he's sick, maybe possessed, he's broken, and when Jesus touches him, Jesus is clean as a Jew, when he touches this guy, he's going to be unclean. Even if the guy was a Jew, but it looks like he's a Gentile, because they're in the Decapolis. So Gentiles are unclean, sick people are unclean, demonic people are unclean. They say to Jesus, isn't this great now? They say to Jesus, Jesus is a church guy. And they say to the church guy, will you touch this non-church guy? So now Jesus can have the same reaction you and I could have. We could say, we don't touch people like that. We're church guys. Or you could have the reaction of, sure, that's what church guys are supposed to do. Church guys are supposed to administer grace. Church guys are supposed to give access. Church guys are supposed to give touch. Church guys are supposed to bring love. Church guys are supposed to be be a bridge to the world. That's what church guys do. Your choice, what kind of church guy you want to be. I want to be the last kind of church guy. I want my congregation to be the last kind of church guy. Okay, so look what Jesus does. They brought in this man and taking him aside from the multitude privately, put his fingers into his ears and he spat and he touched his tongue. So Jesus spits on the guy. That must, that must have been the strangest thing, you know. Hey, I could heal. What if you went to your doctor and your doctor said, well, sure, I can heal that. Just, just stick your tongue out while I spit on you, you know. I mean, just think about what you would do with that, right? Looking up to heaven, Jesus sighs which is another way to say Jesus prayed. Because you remember in Romans, it says, when you're in trouble, the Holy Spirit prays for you. What? With sighs. 
for words. There's a way when you can just sometimes, you don't have to verbalize it, you just groan. When Pastor Just was here, remember he talked about it's enough for your prayers just to visualize the person, you know? So you just, you bring the person to mind and the Lord will fill in the blanks. So here we go. He takes, a, you know, takes him out privately, spits in his ears, spits in his eyes. He sighs out and says, Ephatha, that is, be opened. One word. Praise one word for the guy. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And that's filled with possibility when people can speak plainly. And he said, don't tell anybody. But the more he charged them, the more they talked about it. And they were astonished beyond measure. And they said, he does all things well. That's how you want people to talk about your church. That church does all things well. It doesn't mean they're perfect. Jesus was perfect. We're not. But it means they aim at doing all things well. They do all things well. That's a good place. Come with me on vacation. Come with me to my favorite restaurant. Come to me to my church. Why? Because all things are done well. The music last week. I mean, that's exa- unsolicited, that's what you said. You basically said, in the balcony, they do all things well, right? So that's why, just as a little punch for you, toward, that's why we have you know, um, services where, uh, on Christmas, for example, the earliest service doesn't have a Eucharist. Why is that? So you can invite your friends. And they can just hear the music and it can wash over them and all things will be done well, right? He does all things well. He even makes the deaf hear. He makes the dumb speak. That's a very different way of talking about what your prayers are. I can shake my finger at you and say, Don Orton, you should pray more. Why don't you pray more? If you prayed more, it would all work out. Or I can say to you, Don does all things well. And when he prays, all of a sudden people hear and they speak plainly and life is really good. Okay? That's where your prayers are going to take you. That's where we're going to go next week. We're going to talk about the text that is printed on the front, the Lord's Prayer, and also about you know coming in the middle of the night to ask for something. The point of that is, in advance, is um, it's very practical. It's not theoretical. It's doing biblical things. It's not just talking about biblical things. Jesus is actually going to say to you, when you pray, do this. It's extraordinarily practical. There's four things there, at least. We're going to come back and talk about those next week, okay? Love you. Thanks for Easter. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you next week.